It's the final days to make the first entry deadline for Mumbrella's Comscon Awards. It's been a big year for Australia and New Zealand's PR and communications industry. Now is the time to take a moment and reflect on your accomplishments and reward your team for their hard work. Enter for your chance to be recognised for pushing boundaries, driving successful campaigns, using innovative strategies and moving the industry forward. Enter by Friday 18th of February to save $100. Welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Callum Jaspin, and joining me to break down Australia's media and marketing industry this week is the deputy and acting editor, Andrew Banks. Hello, Callum. Welcome back, Banksy, to the podcast, and senior reporter, Emma Shepherd. Hello. Later in the episode, I will be joined by Pete Bosilkovsky, CEO and founder of new agency It's Friday. During our conversation, we'll be speaking about the new agency's proposition, why startup opportunities are potentially geared towards men, if indies are the new way forward, and reflections and insights from his past few years leading hold co-agencies. But before we get to that, we need to talk about some news. Banksy, give us today's menu. Yes, Callum, I'm pretty impressed with the lineup you've pulled together this week. First up is CHE Proximity's rebrand to CHEP Network with the CEO, Justin Hind, taking the agency forward after his first year at the driving seat. And then we'll be previewing the year ahead in the TV ratings war after a hotly contested 2021 between nine and seven. CHE Proximity this week officially rebranded to Chep Network, rolling out what the Clemenger Group Agency says is the new agency model. The rebrand was teased last Friday, reported on Mumbrella, with the official details holding out for this morning on recording day being Wednesday's wider release. The move is said to be supporting the agency's evolution, with Chep splitting up its 11 different offerings, essentially untangling what is and has been Australia's single largest full-service agency. CEO Justin Hind, who's going to be joining us in just a second, said that the following, following the changes of the past two years, it's caused them to reimagine the business for the new economy that has emerged and, quote, the development of a new agency model that will ensure creativity, media, technology and data is at the heart of supporting our clients' continued growth. Now, all this comes after a fairly turbulent two years, not only for CHEP itself, but Clemenger Group more generally. Throughout the 2010s, Clemenger Group was a powerhouse of Australian advertising with both Clemenger BBDO and Chep scooping up awards left, right and centre, led by the respective bosses Nick Garrett at Clemenger Melbourne and Chris Howitson at Chep, both tipped to succeed Robert Morgan in the top job in the group. Chep is the, as I mentioned, largest full-service offering in the country, was seen as being ahead of the mark and the potential envy of its competitors uh, with the ongoing trend of hold codes right now trying to bring in integrated offerings for their clients. Both have since left with Howitson and Ant White setting up shop together before promptly rebranding themselves following White's departure a few months later. This came several months after the group implemented pay cuts, enforcing leave and job cutting worth around $24.5 million in savings across 2020, reported in Mumbrella last year, this applying to the start of 2020 period when COVID came in. The group then refused to initially pay back the staff uh, and then posted subsequent bumper profits. This also came within the context of its agencies bringing in new business and also taking subsidies from the government JobKeeper program. 
Last year, the group announced a pay rise for those who experienced job cuts across that same period. The whole saga is understood to have been a contributing factor for Howitson's subsequent departure during this period. Uh, also, Clemenger BBDO saw Gail Wire appointed CEO before then departing after a short stint with Jim Gold, later replacing her in Melbourne. The Sydney Outpost recently saw the departure of Pete Bozolkovsky, who we'll be getting to later, and he was last month replaced by Dentsu Creative's Brent Kirby. Hind himself has been in the role for just over a year now, with new Chief Creative Officer Gavin McLeod joining him shortly after. It does appear uh, in terms of style, Hind and Howitzen differ, and I'm sure that will come through with the way the agency is run now, as signalled through this rebranding. A few sources have suggested that in terms of capabilities, potentially not that much will change or was needed to be changed, seeing as Chip was already representing one of the more future-facing models across the industry. But for the last 12 months for Hind, it's been about stabilizing and consolidating a very large business. And what the rebranding does do, if anything, is mark a fork in the road for the agency. Moving forward, the industry is aware that Howitson's 12-month non-compete is up, so no, in no doubt he'll be gunning for some of the business that was won under his tenure. While some of this is not directly related to this week's announcement, it does represent a shift and potential new era for Clemenger Group. While some of this is not directly related to this week's announcement, it does represent a shift and potential new era for Clemenger Group, with rumours going on from Global that further changes may be on their way. Hopefully we can get the answer to some of these questions for you as CEO of CHEP Network, Justin Hind, joins me now. Hi, Justin. Great to welcome you to the podcast today. Oh, thanks, Callum. Great to be here. Big day for us, but uh, great to be here. Yeah, big day indeed. So you've officially uh, repositioned yourself to CHEP Network a year, around a year or so after you took on the role. Um, has this move in particular been a long time coming or was it maybe sort of um, as a response to the last couple of years? Well, I think it's a bit of both. You know, I came into the role um, officially in December uh, 2020 uh, and kicking off, you know, early in 2021. One of the things Rob Morgan asked was, um, could you have a look and see what you think the next era of CHEP should be? And, you know, CHEP's a, a big business, a powerful business, hugely successful. Um, so, you know, we thought long and hard about what is the right thing to do. Uh, and our executive team sat down and we looked at everything that we'd done and, and where we'd been and, more importantly, where we were going. We did lots of research in the market. Um, we listened a lot. Uh, and we thought that, um, you know, it was a good time for two reasons. One, you know, the changes in the business. And secondly, the changes in the economy and wider society. So this move to the CHEP network being in and around um, new economy creativity and our, our purpose being um, to be a positive force in the new economy just felt right. So um, yeah. it's a long piece of work. It probably took us about seven months um, to get to today, but um, we're grateful of all the energy and effort that people have put in to get us here. For, from my initial, uh, I guess, take on the, the situation, it seems as though it's somewhat of uh, going against the global trend of an aggregation of services. CHEP was always kind of seen as being the envy of these other groups with kind of having that that full service model and offering across, you know, these 11 different services which you've listed. Is this a response to that and kind of being ahead of what might next be the model is sort of untangling that? 
we're not really focused on untangling that. For those clients, the very large enterprise clients that would like us to do everything, I talk about threading the needle. If they'd like us to thread the needle through 10 or 11 services, we're going to do that all day long. And that is the power of chat. On the flip side though, when we came into the business, we probably thought that a lot of those services didn't have the same amount of oxygen or air cover or recognition in the market. Um, and really this move to a network model is the best of what CHEP is known for, but also being able to be responsive to those clients that want to be a little bit more nimble or if they want to turn different services on and off. Um, it's really responsive to that change that we're seeing, as well as looking at not only at large enterprise size clients, but mid-market. Mid-markets are a very large part of the economy and particularly the advertising industry. Um, and we're, we're adapting, I would say, to both ends of that spectrum. If you want us to do everything, we'll do it all day long. If you want us just to do tech or just media or just CX, we'll do that um, happily as well. So one thing that comes to mind is sort of the, I guess, the offering which Bastion brought together last year going from Bastion Collective to now Bastion with all their services underneath. Will you have a sort of similar offering to that? I mean, in terms of will there be a, a lead or a GM for each of the different offerings? I understand Bastion have CEOs in place. Um, obviously, you're still more of that kind of agency model. Yeah, we're, we're lucky. We run as one national team and we have an ELT um, and that is comprised of the discipline leads and um, our managing partners and client partners. So we already have a level of seniority and recognition within the business that they come together and they operate singularly at the same time. And, you know, Mike Dean and, and the team there have done a very good job with Chet Media. Mark Gretton and his team there, we've got a very large tech business. Um, they've done a fantastic job on that too, of having um, the ability to service all of Chep and then have large-scale clients on their own. So, again, yeah. it's best, best of both worlds that's responding to what the market wants. And in terms of, I guess, one of the, the, the maybe the worries would be that you move away from that sort of fully uh, village-type uh, setup and maybe it does go into these sort of silos. How, how, from a culture perspective, do you think you can, I guess, manage that? Yeah, well, I think culturally we don't really have any silos. We have disciplines. Yeah. Um, and the the nature of the way that we challenge and answer briefs for clients is one of um, collective thought and collective leadership. The collaboration that I've seen amongst the leaders of our business is absolutely fantastic, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, and um, I guess this this morning, uh, reading on MI3, an interview you did with them, um, you mentioned that revenue is up in the past couple of years. Um, Looking at LinkedIn, the numbers in staffing are down slightly, nine, uh, I think 11% over the, the two years. How does that kind of um, factor in with each other, revenue being up, but I guess staffing down? Look, so we've managed the business pretty tightly. Um, the, you know, the revenue growth in 2021, we're really proud of. Um, we've been able to find extra capacity in some teams without necessarily having to impinge on their life. Um, and having them to work harder. We've just found capacity and streamlining in the business that have allowed us to take on new clients without having to take on headcount in the same proportion. So, um, you know, that's, that's where the result um, has come from. Um, and, you know, the other thing that we spent a lot of time on in 2021 
um, was finding balance for our team. You know, the, the ability for them to come and work hard and achieve and learn and satisfy their clients and answer all the challenges that clients put in front of you. Um, we've, we've been acutely focused on that, but at the same time, we've been focused on better work-life balance and better support of our team to deliver those results. I couldn't be prouder of every person that makes up CHIP today. And and just finally, I guess, uh, on a, a sort of related note in terms of um, talent, Clemenger Group more generally has seen quite a few changes in the last couple of years. Do you think with this it's sort of a refreshed opportunity and a, a sort of clean slate moving forward for the group? Uh, look, I'm challenged to run CHEP the best way possible. There's lots of great initiatives going on at a group-wide level. Uh, if there's ideas that we share um, back and forth, that's great. Um, but as each of the brands run uh, in their own right, that's probably a better question for the individual CEOs. But um, We're very collaborative at a CGL level, but my focus is fairly and squarely on, on CHEP and how we drive CHEP forward. Brilliant. Well, uh, Justin, appreciate you coming on at short notice today. It's been great to chat. Absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Coming up next, a refreshed TV ratings year kicks off. With the TV ratings year kicking off last week, our very own Emma Shepherd went to three free-to-air networks speaking with 9's Michael Stevenson, 10's Rod Prosser and 7's Kurt Burnett about the year ahead, strategy and what to expect. This also comes with while the rating systems themselves are in flux, moving towards a more total representation of things with the increasing usage of broadcast video on demand and live streaming to view primetime programming. Nine and seven, both, as we've previously discussed on here, claimed what they see as important wins across 2021. But Sevens Burnett told Mumbrella in the article which I referenced before that this year it aims to grow in the 25 to 54 category. Now, does this suggest maybe that Seven is admitting that it lost out last year on maybe what it does see as the most important category? So I don't think it's a case of quality over quantity, uh, you know, for the networks. I think this has been a big topic for the industry for a long time now, in particular Seven, which, you know, for the most part, the last, you know, five to six years has always focused on, you know, older demographics and female predominantly. Even I, I did speak to uh, Steve Allen from PMN earlier today. He did mention that you know around eighty five percent of TV marketplace goes to demographics sixteen to fifty fours. They're the ones that the you know brands are the most interested in kind of cracking uh, and reaching. And I think that Seven is you know still very much you know focused on older and female. However, they are this year trying to attract. You know, the 25 to 54s, which Nine did kind of win last year. Uh, so, you know, what they're doing about that and how they're doing this is, you know, revamping some of their tentpole programs, such as The Voice. So they had the the one last year, the, the one last week, sorry, that went for uh, one week, um, the Voice Generations. Now that reformat was basically just designed to, you know, bring in, the, the younger demographics and and obviously for the rest and throughout 2022 they're definitely going to pepper in some new content as well just to bring in some of that younger 
younger audience, which they haven't had previously, which Nine kind of excels so well. Like they just do so well. Um, you know, Nine, as we all, as as we've seen, um, their content slate really does appeal to the twenty-five to fifty-four demos. Um, you know, that's always been their focus. So I think you know it's inevitable that Seven's focusing on something that they see as you know a growth for them as a network. Um, so you know, only time can tell. Yeah, and no, straight out the block, each of the networks have had their own tentpole programming competing against each other. MU mentioned there the voice generations kicking off last week. We had maths on nine, which always done well, always does well, I should say, and Survivor on ten. Personally, I'm I'm watching Survivor, but uh, how are they each faring so far? Yeah, look as. Expected, I'm sure, in the industry that, you know, Maths for Nine has done incredibly well. Uh, since its launch last week, it has topped entertainment uh, every night. Uh, we have seen a pretty consistent Survivor following, and I think that's also pretty pretty predictable as well, you know, that cult following, that fan, you know, the fan base that's surrounding that 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 format for for ten is just it's it's really really positive for them, um, and then you know we did see that uh, the spin off series the Voice Generations, uh, which you know they were trying to grab that that younger audience that has done done exactly that. However, it didn't really pull in as much of an audience as I would have thought for them. But you know it was only really to go up against Maths um, and Survivor, and you know they they're really kind of focused on the, the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics at the moment um, and their, you know, actual tentpole voice will start at the end of the year. So, you know, all in all, pretty good um, in terms of free-to-air audience share um, and Married at First Sight is definitely a clear winner at this stage. So I guess looking looking forward, what should we be kind of keeping our eye on um, and what are buyers really looking out for this year, Banksy? Um, it's a tricky one, Callum. Uh, I've been talking with M this, about this quite a bit. I think media buyers aren't really that much focused on BVOD at this stage. Um, I think all the big numbers with, are with FTA and um, that's where they're kind of working out where their money's going. Um, I think M's, M will probably agree with me that once those BVOD numbers and audience um, increase and the FTA drops off, um, what do you reckon, M, probably soon or how soon do you reckon? Definitely, uh, you know, as I previously mentioned and Steve, um, Alan, Steve uh, previously mentioned to me that, you know, it's all about the 16 to 54s um, and in terms of, you know, media buyers, you know, brands come to them to obviously place the ads. They're looking for that big, you know, the biggest audience share that they can get um, and they want those big shows as well. And I think the numbers at the moment, um, as much as everyone wants to move towards total TV reporting, I think it's very much still about free to air that's where the majority of the the audience share are, uh, and I think you know with the BVOD numbers, they are definitely creeping up. I just don't think that at this point of time, um, you know, it's a focus uh, with the media buyers as of yet. Because from what I uh, have been told by a few media buyers, uh, if you want to advertise your brand on BVOD, it's a completely separate transaction. They don't actually, you know, sometimes there's a package deal when it comes, you know, with with maths or, or shows like that that do really well. But most of the time BVOD is a separate transaction to, you know, if you'd want to advertise 
um, yeah, on yeah. Friday. And I guess la- last year at the upfronts we saw those networks kind of um, quite a few of them rolling out new tech for those buying platforms on uh, more digital or BVOD viewing. And we would assume going forward as the way everything is, things are moving online, that people will increasingly start watching um, through those channels. Does this mean that we will potentially be changing the way that we report on TV ratings? I know right now the main daily article that we put forward is um, is just the kind of free-to-air linear. Yeah, look, Callum, I, I think at this stage, you know, we, we can we can focus on total TV reporting only unless we have the access to the BVOD figures and not just the OzTam FTA linear overnight ratings and then the seven-day BVOD and VOZ, which is two weeks behind. So it gets a bit complicated, I think, once you look at it from that point of view of reporting. Um, M's doing a really good job of keeping on top of how that process works and 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 really monitoring it with Oztam, you know, of any changes coming through. Um, so yeah, I think we 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 can't base our figures off numbers that's not provided to us um, through um, Oztam Direct at this stage. So uh, yeah, Emma will agree. I think that's where we are. Yeah, basically, if it's not from Oztam or third party, we don't really want to rely on the the data that the networks give us. So unless we have that um, extra information and that you know, reliability of an, of an external source, then we at this stage can't report BVOD overnight. Coming up next, I'll be chatting to It's Friday's Pete Bozolkovsky. Pete Bozolkovsky, CEO and founder of new startup creative agency, It's Friday. Welcome to the Mumbrella cast. Thanks, Callum. Good to be here. Great to have you. So you've just struck out on your own after a stretch of a few different roles, first finishing up your time at Leo Burnett, then joining YNR soon after becoming VML YNR, and then Clemenger BBDO Sydney, which you finished up at the end of 2021. Why is now the time to go on your own? It's COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> That's a very good question. Uh, I think... Um, you know, I think you go into this industry and it, it's it's so electric and magical and, and, you you know, you get entrusted with these amazing brands and um, then you work in organisations that have got, you know, very clear um, uh, point of view um, of how they uh, manage brands. Uh, and I don't know, you know, it's years of, of working with amazing people that you always in the, in the back of your mind, you've kind of, I've always thought, wouldn't it be great if um, we could start something? Uh, wouldn't it be great to actually have no obstacles in the way, but just, you know, um, create, create an entity and offering that um, you truly believe in? Uh, and, you know, I think all those roads, all those years have led to this, you know, to, to really firm up your point of view. I, I think you, you need... You know, and and some and some folks who are very early on in their career uh, and are blazing successes. Um, for me, I've really enjoyed learning more about different organisations and the way they sort of view the world and how they uh, manage brands. And so, um, it just felt it was the time. You know, it had nothing to do with the Great Resignation or anything like that. Um, <laughs> but I have to say, um, you know, the the first lockdown that we had in twenty twenty 
we kept going in the office. So there was only a few of us. So really it was business as usual for us. Um, and the second one, there was um, having to work from home because Gladys made you work from home, uh, which was a good thing, um, you know, stay safe. But it, I didn't, I, I don't think I've ever had that point of time to reflect. Uh, I know it might, might sound silly, but, you know, you kind of 20 odd years of, you know, going in at, um, at 100 miles an hour, uh, loving what you do. But, you know, the only time you've got a break is holidays, whatever. But this was a real point of reflection. Um, and and I've never had that before. Um, you know, you, you do stop here and there to sort of think, you know, hang on, where am I going? Is this the right place or should I need another challenge? I don't mean any of that. I mean, what do I really want? And, and, I, and I think the four or five months of not being in an office where – um, and you're not constantly, you're in a lot of meetings, but you've got time to yourself. Um, and, yeah. and I think that was the trigger of, okay, I, I feel like this time is right. Uh, it was serendipity. And, you know, with some of my partners who were kind of feeling the same way and we felt, well, you know, this is the time we've got a, we've got this passion to do it. Um, and fear is something that always kind of gets in the way. Um, and I had this quote up, um, which was everything you want is the other on the other side of fear, but yeah, you know, there, there's one thing of wanting to do it. Another thing of actually doing it. We just, we felt like this is the time. I know it's crazy, but um, there's a few <laughs> indies who have started during this period too. So I don't know, maybe we're all crazy, but uh, it just felt yeah. right. It, it, I can't explain. It just felt right. It was, it was a feeling that just felt right. And we knew what we wanted to do and we just, uh, we thought, okay, we're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that a few other ones have started up in COVID and you kind of joked about COVID at the start. You've, you've now gone out with, you said, your partners, Jeremy de Villiers and Vince Ligana. Um, there are a few of those agencies. We won't go into them because obviously there, there are quite a few. But what is going to, I guess, differentiate your agency? And Or should I rephrase that and say, why are you going to, or should you be taken seriously in comparison to these other startups and kind of on that uh, do you think that this is kind of the way the wind is blowing? This, we're going to continue seeing this outside the context of COVID. It's a very yeah. Look, it's a great question in terms of um, we've done it because we're going to run our own race, and it's not necessarily about what the Jones are doing, or you know, it's it's not about keeping up with them. And it, you know, there are a brilliant there are brilliant companies out there, uh, indies and and multinationals. So uh, brilliant. We have. 10 years of working together in various different organizations. And we've just got this sort of um, similar ambition, a similar ambition to do a certain type of innovative work. And, and I think that sort of experience and that ambition of um, wanting to, wanting to sort of um, carve out our own uh, point of view in the market, uh, that, that, that point of view is that, you know, I think what you learn is there are many, many buzzwords out there and many offerings in there. Um, but, you know, the, the, the reason for the name of It's Friday is predicated on this, on, on the ethos that, you know, um, during the week, uh, it's a day that people really look forward to. Uh, it, it has a feeling, it has an energy, um, and that energy is driven by anticipation, positivity, optimism. And the reason for that is because, the days leading up to it, it's a bit of a grind and, you know, you're, you're kind of getting through the week and then it comes Friday and you've got something to look forward to and you're you're very optimistic. Um, 
those those days leading up kind of deplete your energy levels, and so it comes Friday, you're you're kind of you're jolted. And, and the way we kind of see the world is that it's very similar to brands, you know. So brands that you know compete in a lot of markets, uh, a lot of categories. There's a lot of competition, whether that is innovation in price, innovation in product, in service, and uh, and then what tends to happen is they kind of lose their differentiation. It's about how do you sort of restore that energy uh, on a brand because, you know, without an energy, it, it, it's hard for consumers to remember uh, that interaction that they've had with you or want to remember because you're, you're, you're effectively wrestling with time. And so um, very simple, basic principle. Um, and, you know, how do you inject and power a brand with energy and, that for us may feel simplistic, but it's it's how uh, we're going to sort of carve our view of the world uh, in the market. And when you look at the amount of brands um, that operate in many different categories and many different spaces, you kind of, you know, you kind of look at that and you look at some of those brands who don't have that energy, who don't leave you feeling with anything. There's no emotion. There's no distinction. There's no, you know, they're, they're not connecting with you in a meaningful way. Um, and, you know, um, the, everything for us all roads lead to energy beats everything. Uh, us as humans, <laughs> yeah. our view of the world and how we power brands. And, and I'll tell you, I've got an example, and, um, and it was a great example that was done overseas. And um, it was a billboard at an airport, and it was in Helensky. And it was one of those airport signs that welcomes you to the country or, or to the state. How many of those do you see? A lot, you know, welcome to London, welcome to Sydney, great, ace. Um, <laughs> however, this one kind of hit me between the eyes and it was, it read, nobody in their right mind would come to Helensky in November except you, you badass, welcome. Now, if that doesn't make you feel something, if you know, that you, you can feel the energy of that tourism body like of that country it says it, it says a lot about the values of that country and you take a photo and you share it with someone you want to talk about it because it's made you feel good uh you may not share it instantly but it's something that you do remember brands are getting complacent uh and and you know i think that there, there is an opportunity to uh, to re-energize those brands um and in in the low, in in the least suspecting channels as well, you know, not all channels are created equal. So, uh, how do we make sure that when brands turn up all the time, that we're using differentiation uh, as a way of um, being able to connect with consumers in a more memorable way? And I think that's what energy allows us to do. Yeah, and I guess speaking about brands, you know, your first foundation, well, your foundation client is Domino's. Um, was there anything particular? I mean, how did that partnership come about? And did they kind of did it? Was it a natural marriage where they're looking for what you what you're talking about there? That kind of brand energy and uh, Domino's is one of the most um, inspiring brands, and not not that I'm biased, but if you think about um, what they have managed to achieve and do in this market uh, through innovation, um, they created. Um, they put the customer at the heart of everything that they do and they innovated to crush the barriers that got in the way to delivering a superior service. Um, and, and you know, they launched their pizza tracker um, before Uber was even created. Um, and, you know, that sort of, you know, step changing how the category um, orders takeaway food and they kept doing it and kept doing it. And so 
a brand that's fueled with innovation. You know, it's one of the top ASX companies in this country. Um, and, you know, a lot of it has been invested in the product. And, and for us, that sort of, there's been a natural pairing of values um, of wanting to partner up with a brand that has that sort of zest to keep crushing conventions um, to ensure that whenever the brand appears uh, in the world and, and how it comes into contact with consumers, it's done in a very differentiated way. And if you meet Adam Ballesty, who's the CMO, or you know Don May, who's the global CEO, they both sing and talk out of the same hymn sheet. You know, there's this natural energy to to want to um, you know disrupt and innovate and crush those things that get in the way. Um, and you know, they're looking. They were looking for a partner that could apply that thinking to the brand across the entire customer journey. I think our values of um, energizing a brand uh, where they're a business that, you know, does everything that they can to provide that amazing customer experience for its food or its service offering. Um, you know, I think it was just a natural connection. Um, and, yeah. you know, you don't, it, it's, it's a phenomenal business. Um, and we're, we're very lucky um, that they have afforded us the opportunity really to be our founding client um, and our founding partner um, to, to get its Friday off the ground. Yeah. And in terms of the agency or maybe the ecosystem more generally, this is a bit of a, a change of pace, but as we've seen in the past couple of years within COVID, but within these kind of agencies that have come up or, you know, you've got Howitson Company, formerly White, uh, Aiden Hepburn's Accelo, the market does tend to lend itself along with your agency to, I guess, uh, we're, we're seeing predominantly males striking out on their own. Do you think there's any sort of conditions in the market that does do lend itself to that? And do you think in the future we might see more females who are in those kind of prominent roles kind of striking out on their own? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a you know, that's a terrific question. Um, look, finding your, finding partners, business partners, um, they're probably the most um, important decision you make. So as it happens, we are three blokes, um, but, um, you know, it's three blokes that have been together for about 10 years um, and, you know, we have sort of that shared ambition. Um, that component for our business, we, we're about to just make a, an announcement um, this week, uh, another executive leader um, um, who, um, you know, for us, which is really important around ensuring that we are bringing the most diverse minds into the company. It is something that, um, you know, will be critical for the future and success of its Friday, that it's, um, you know, a company that's filled with eclectic, diverse minds. Um, yeah. And and to answer your question about the business, I hope it does. You know, I've got yeah. daughters who are eight and 12 and I, you know, I want them to be entrepreneurial. You know, uh, my wife has a, has a phenomenal business that was ravaged by COVID, but, you know, she's she's an entrepreneur and she ha has her own business. So I kind of, you know, you do, the business only thrives and gets better if there's more diverse uh, businesses out there uh, and also diverse leaders. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I think I think the, the time is ripe, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I always come back to, you know, just making sure that you're, you know, you're going in, into business with people that, um, you know, <laughs> you're sure that, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, exciting and there'll be highs and there'll be lows and you've got, you've got to put a lot of faith and trust behind your partners. Yeah. 
And then I guess talking about the the, the highs and lows of the, the past couple of years and the, the conditions that have brought you to the moment we're at now where you are starting up your own agency, it'd be great to get a few reflections from you, from, you know, uh, as we listed earlier, the, the past three agencies that you've kind of been at in recent years. Um, you, you finished up at Clems, your most recent role a couple of months ago. Um I guess traditionally in the market, Clemenger is sort of seen as the 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 younger agency in the two and the kind of Melbourne Sydney dynamic. I'd love to know what what your reflections and what the kind of reality of that situation was being inside of Clemenger and in the kind of wider Clemenger group. Hmm, yeah, uh, Clemenger is an amazing organisation. I mean, Clemenger as a whole, um, and you know, it's a it's a business that has been fiercely competitive um, and and really driven by creativity and they've never deviated from that. So I think um, the support, um, the services, the access to resource uh, was second to none and um, and Sydney uh, was a business that was, you know, was afforded that opportunity. I think we achieved amazing things in the, in the two years. You know, I joined literally just before COVID started. Um, so, you know, uh, without their support, um, you could have sort of retracted in terms of the vision and, and the and sort of the ambition that we had for, for the business. But uh, what was what was astonishing in that type of organisation, you just had so, so many diverse and inspiring leaders that uh, came, came at the business world from a very different perspective um, and through the different organisations. So um, you apply that, you get inspired by that and you apply it to the Sydney operation. And, and I think, you know, over that two years, we kind of, you know, started um, and, and the business is now going on to a great trajectory. Uh, the momentum um, was was definitely heading north, you know. Um, I think we ended 2021 on top of the new business ladder. Um, yeah. We were, you know, innovating with the type of work. We were uh, we were featured in the AFR, most innovative companies list. So, um the business itself and the brand has come a long way and that's because we've given a lot of, well, we gave a lot of young talent an opportunity to step up and to step into those roles because it's that type of organisation. So um, it's a phenomenal force. Uh, it's a big force and it's a big organisation across, you know, Australia and New Zealand. So, um, yeah, no, it was very fond. I had, a, had, a, had an yeah. amazing time with great support there. And I guess within the wider kind of Clemenger group structure there's been quite a lot of well restructuring uh in terms of talent in the last couple of years do you do you think that's kind of affected the business in any way or business as usual and i guess another one would be you know with um previously before you joined nick garrett being in i guess across both melbourne and sydney do you ever see that role kind of becoming a singular role and maybe the agencies brought together in a more kind of chg proximity type fashion um so if i answer your question i think i think the brands are bigger than the people i think everyone has a role in imprinting their uh legacy and and their piece in the in the in the in the bigger puzzle um and you know i think everyone kind of contributes to where the business is at today uh across all the different brands within the clemenger group so um it, it historically has been a business that has attracted the best talent um in the industry, and I think you'll continue to do so. Um, so, you know, I think w- whether the whether the journey's been short or long uh, in terms of those leaders doesn't really matter because I think they add to the culture and the DNA of the organisation and it'll, and it'll keep growing, you know. Uh, I think Peter Cleminger, 
um, who's still part of the business, been with the business for 70 odd years. So, um, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of stewardships and knowledge uh, that's still in the business. But um, no, I, I, think, I think fresh new blood in any organization is great, a different perspective, a different view. So uh, that, that business will continue to flush, flourish with different leaders. Yeah. And then I guess before that, um, there was, well, you joined what was YNR, then turned and merged with uh, VML, which was headed up by Aiden, who you uh, subsequently co-CEO'd with. I'd, I'd love to find out, what, you know, with that, when you came into the job, were you aware of that happening, uh, kind of bringing the agencies together? And how do you think it turned out after, I guess, the time when you left the agency? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Look, um, it was a different brief to what I took on. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it was a very different brief to when I joined. So, And I think ultimately, um, you know, what, what I've learned in my time, in the 20-odd years in this industry, is that, um, you know, I've been fiercely loyal to a lot of organisations, um, you know, between you know, Leah Burnett, I was there for nearly 11 years, Um but you know, instinctively, I think what you learn is uh, if if it if it doesn't feel right uh, and it doesn't align to what you've signed up for, um, you're you're better off um, you know uh, leaving. Uh, and that was the option that I took um, because yeah. it wasn't it, it wasn't the brief that I signed up for. Um, again, you know, a great time for that organisation. Some great leaders. Aiden, you know, is a great guy, very smart guy, very successful in in his uh, venture uh, out of the multinational. So um, great talent. But for me personally, it just wasn't the brief that I took on and um, we parted ways. Yeah, and, you know, as a result, Aiden, as you mentioned, left. He started up on his own Accelo. The, beforehand, you had these two agencies, YNR, a kind of legacy agency, and VML, both doing well in their own right. Do you think the kind of increasing trend of these these mergers and kind of mishmashes of agencies is healthy for the actual agency ecosystem? Oh, uh, you're asking all the great questions, Callum. You're asking the great questions. Uh, it's crystal ball stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, I, you know, it, it's hard. It's it's hard to give a, a broad answer to that because I think it comes down to the organisation, and I think it really comes down to the leadership uh, that are driving, um, you know, the change. And in some instances, we've seen businesses that have merged together, uh, and in other instances where they haven't. So uh, I think the answer is going to be time will tell. Yeah, like these are uh, these are organisations, and the ones that you're referring to, organisations that have been around for a very long time, um, are, you know, they, and they've stood on their own two feet. So, in terms of you know, is is will they be far more powerful and magnetic in the market when you combine them? Um, time will tell. I think it's too early. I think I think yeah. it's really too early. I you know, but I don't I don't think the answer is no, they shouldn't. Uh, I think time will tell. I think that's the ultimate test, isn't it? And I guess just finally, Pete, uh, it would be great, you know, after all these years within these groups running agencies uh, across these ones that we've mentioned, if you were to take one learning and apply it to it's Friday going forward, what would you say? The one learning. I mean, you can choose more than one if, if you've got, you know, a few on the top of your mind. Okay. Um, yeah, so I have been very fortunate 
to have worked in several organizations that um, have their own unique culture, um, their own unique view of the world. And, and I think the one learning, um, well, two, I'm going to put it down to two, really. Uh, one that I've learned is how important um, the culture of the organization really is. Because when you go from one to the other to the other, you know, they're all different and they're all kind of distinctive in their own right. But but what you really learn is um, those organizations that have got their culture um, when it's visceral and it's special and you, it's not words on a page, but, you know, um, people live those values day in, day out. Uh, it makes the place far more magical. It attracts better talent. It, it attracts um, the right type of client who's willing to do the kind of work that you want to do. Uh, and it's also a reflection of the work you put out into the world. Um, and and I think you, that culture is so important. Um, and I think I've learned that, you know, with the different organisations, when it's not there, uh, how much you actually lose. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think wasn't there a famous saying, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I think that is so true. Um, the second point I will I will say the second learning is that the work that the that the brand based on its culture, the type of work that it puts out really defines the organization. And those organizations that um, aren't willing to, you know, um, aren't willing to define the kind of work that they do, um, you know, they get caught in the middle. And, and I think it's those that, I, that I've seen that learning for us is, you know, we want to be defined by the kind of work we create. Um, and I think that is what will ensure that the brand uh, will be here in 10 years' time, in 20 years' time, uh, fingers crossed. Um, and they're the defining things that I, that I take from my experience in having worked in some of the, you know, great creative companies uh, that we will inject into It's Friday. Well, I can't wait to see the work you um, end up producing, Pete, and uh, what comes out of its Friday this year. It's been absolutely brilliant having you on the podcast. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, Callum. And that's it for this week's Mumbrella Cast. Please remember or make sure to subscribe to the Mumbrella Cast on your favorite podcast platform and keep checking Mumbrella for more content and updates. Emma and Banksy, thank you. Thanks, Callum. Thanks very much. See you, Emma. And thanks to Justin Hind and Pete Bozakowski for joining us. See you next week.